Seen any good movies lately? Now, chances are, if I had asked you that question 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, you might have answered yes. Where'd you see it? The Camp Horn Drive-In, maybe? The Wexford Starlight? How about the Blue Dell? Or one of the many other outdoor drive-in theaters that used to dot the Pittsburgh landscape? Maybe you went with your parents in their station wagon. Or maybe you went with a date. When you got there, you rolled down the window, clipped a metal speaker onto it, and waited for it to get dark. Then the screen lit up with some previews, a commercial for the concession stand, and finally, the feature. Sean Israel works at one of the very few remaining drive-ins in the Pittsburgh area. It's the Riverside Drive-In in Vandergrift. Today on BergCast, he talks about drive-in culture, drive-in food, who watches movies outside today anyway, and much more. You are probably, in fact, you are, you probably know, you know more about drive-in theaters in this area than anybody that I think I've ever met. I cannot make that claim. <laughs> I think there's a few who can uh, can better me on that, and one person that comes to mind is actually historian Brian Butko. Oh, Brian, yeah. Yeah, who's uh, written numerous uh, 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 books about uh, Pittsburgh lore and history, and um, he's, uh, you know, very, very... Uh, studied in that as well. Also historian Jennifer Sopko, um, I have to credit, uh, with um, a lot of knowledge about uh, drive-in theaters and having done a lot of research. Um, and one of my uh, one of my good friends that I have seen on the drive-in circuit by the name of Denny Pine is quite a collector of uh, drive-in lore, drive-in ads, and he is, his knowledge is quite extensive. Even um, uh, retired um, arts writer Ed Blank, who used to work for the oh, Pittsburgh Ed, Preds and yes. the Trib, he has uh, a, a, an extraordinary memory for uh, not only the drive-ins, but the theaters in the Pittsburgh area, too. So, so I am just but one of the, <laughs> uh, the folks who uh, have compiled info on this stuff. So um, you work at the Riverside Drive-In in Vandergrift. How did you get involved with that and how long have you been there? Well, this will be my, uh, correct me if I'm right, yes, 12th summer with the Riverside Drive-In Theater uh, and it's it's technically in North Vandergrift, PA, so it's on the Armstrong County side but very close to Westmoreland, but about halfway between Vandergrift and Leechburg. Um, I got involved with uh, that place because, uh, number one, friends of mine uh, came into ownership of it in 2005 and I found myself in a circumstance uh, beginning in 2008 where I was actually living next to or near the drive-in just about three miles away and uh, I was looking for some uh, local work and uh, I've always been as, as you know we'll certainly establish been passionate about drive-in theaters and I asked them hey could you use an extra hand and their response was yeah sure and well the rest is history needless to say and what I do there uh, when I'm uh, usually when I'm off from my regular job which is uh, assistant house manager at Pittsburgh Public Theater the O'Reilly downtown when I'm on my summer break from there uh, I will uh, make popcorn take tickets uh, if you ever call the drive-in information line that'll be my mellifluous tones on the uh, outgoing <laughs> message telling you what the attractions are and you know how much it costs so uh, yeah I've been involved with the drive-in for uh, 12 it'll be my 12th summer and um, the drive-in itself is the only one I know of not just here in Western Pennsylvania but anywhere that has existed under three different ownerships 
and three different names. Oh, really? Yeah, it started out, it opened in May of 1949 as Lee's Woodland Drive-In, and it was the Woodland until it closed in the early 80s. It was dormant for about almost 12, 13 years. Then it was reopened as the Galaxy Drive-In in 1995, and then the current owners uh, made it the Riverside Drive-In in 2005, and it is actually by a river, the Kiski Minutus. So ah. it's, uh, there's truth in advertising on that. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't have to ask you about the name now. Yep, um, there you are. So at one time, and then certainly growing up in Pittsburgh, there were lots and lots of drive-in theaters oh, yes. here because when you're little, your parents take you there. And mm-hmm. um, Now we're down to just a handful in the area. So what made the Riverside last this long? Well, I think it was uh, that uh, someone, uh, what really helped was is that the original skeleton or the framework of the property didn't get bulldozed. It still had, uh, even though a good portion of the screen had to be, well, the screen did have to be replaced, um, the essential like ticket booth set up and the building were still there. It was still set up to be a drive-in theater. And uh, then when uh, folks were, you know, scouting around, for the location, um, they kind of had that, you know, advantage so that they didn't have to build it from scratch. And so it became, uh, I'm sure, perhaps marginally easier. I mean, if a place is going to sit for, you know, 13 years, there's going to be some issues you have to take care of in terms of plumbing, wiring, construction, you know, a host of things, uh, making sure everything's up to code. But if you have the framework there, that that's, I imagine that's kind of an advantage mm-hmm. for you so that would that would be why that so as a by a stroke of luck I guess that the <coughs> drive-in never got completely bulldozed that it was still and you had people who were interested in running theaters uh, both the uh, the uh, uh, fellow who opened up the galaxy Jim LaPuma and the folks who uh, now uh, own and run the Riverside Todd Ammon and Emma Ross they were both working in the trade and are all, or all of them were working in the trade they'd worked at theaters and drive and they had a passion for uh, you know running movie theaters and keeping the drive-ins going and I think uh, my estimation is one of the key factors in that is uh, probably the closing of the Greater Pittsburgh Drive-In in in 1997 which is one of the biggest operations we had it was uh, run by the Warren family and it got up to five screens uh, from uh, you know gradually expanding screens from the time it opened in 1954 right on 30 in North for sales to 1997 when it closed and uh, it was an amazing place it was a wonderland for, for drive-in enthusiasts. Five screens plus mini golf. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was just an amazing operation. <clears throat> you know, I do remember from my childhood that there were drive-ins that combined not only the screen but also carnival rides, things like that. Sure, sure. Because in those days, uh, going to drive-ins, especially you know, especially families, was commonplace. The, Very much. Uh, does the Riverside uh, do first-run movies right yeah. now? Yes, the Riverside does uh, run first-run movies. Most drive-ins that are still operating do, and that's because first-run movies are available, so they're, they're obviously going to take advantage of it. Um, and so, the uh, yeah, the, 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 and what's, what's kind of cool... Uh, in this day and age is that a lot of features that are geared for family audiences um, get specifically released in the summer when you have uh, school out and, and you know families are able to go to movies on Moss um, and even though the drive-ins don't compose a huge percentage 
of all the uh, of venues available to the movie going public, they're able to benefit from that if uh, you know they can pay the percentage that uh, whatever the uh, the movie studio dictates and uh, run it for the second feature. And so, for example, movies have a tendency to open wide. So, a recent example: Toy Story Four opens everywhere. Perfect movie for taking the family to the drive-in. A lot of the drive-ins jump on that. Turns out to be available, and so that's the movie that all the venues will show. Now, for drive-ins with multiple screens, they'll also take advantage of other attractions that are out there. But generally, it's a first-run feature, a feature that uh, probably has a little bit of heat on it, so mm -hmm. or fairly new and looks like it'll appeal to a family audience. So you're saying that it's mainly families that you see at the Riverside, right? Yeah, I would say, and I would say that's, that's true uh, for the most part, definitely in the summer months between Memorial Day and Labor Day, and even a little bit of a ramp up to Memorial Day, because remember, uh, usually a major action movie comes out first weekend of May like uh, the Avengers movie uh, normally does or if there's a Fast and Furious movie that'll open up to kind of you know get us anticipatory for the other summer attractions it's kind of a nice do, do drive-ins and specifically the one that you are at um, mm -hmm. do they still show trailers or, or pre-features or things like that ours does and I, I know that quite a few other drive-ins do as well but yeah we have a uh, selection of trailers um, that uh, were originally produced by um, uh, the Filmax studio in uh, Evanston, Illinois. And they're the classic drive-in trailers you remember with dancing hot dogs and biodegrading pizzas they before your those. eyes. Wow. And <laughs> sparkling. And as a matter of fact, even, there's even a service that can do uh, basically a restored uh, digital version of uh, the original 35 as well, or taken wow. from the print as well. Um, yeah, so the, I, I know we're not the only drive-in that does that, but uh, we definitely show it, and it adds a little bit of uh, adds a little bit of fun to the evening. Oh, certainly, sure. yeah. Do you have good memories of your youth going to drive-ins, or was that not something that was part of your childhood? That uh, that was definitely part of my childhood. Yeah. The drive-in I work at in particular was one that my one of several that my parents took me to when I was a child and I have a, a distinct memory of being about five years old and I remember I was at that particular drive-in back when it was the woodland and it seemed to me that the whole town was there it was just a lot full of cars my uh, parents and I were in the car we had uh, the family dog with us mm -hmm. And I remember in the car next door, my aunt and uncle were sitting there, and I would just remember this kind of morass of people. And I distinctly remember the movie showing was, and this would certainly explain why there were a lot of cars, uh, because I'm fairly sure if I if I was if it was the summer of 1968, then they were probably showing The Graduate. Oh, yeah. And that was the movie, the hit movie that year. You know, that was, it was a huge sensation. So, and it, and it seemed like the whole town showed up that night to see the movie. And uh, that's one of the early memories. I also have uh, earlier kind of fragmented memories of, uh, believe it or not, Dr. Zhivago really? at the drive-in. Just remember that kind of an image of, Yuri, uh, of uh, as Yuri Zhivago, Omar Sharif. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in the car seeing that, uh, but I don't have a sustained memory of it, but it's, it's conceivable. Uh, where, where I grew up in Leechburg, we had access probably to at least four drive-in theaters, maybe five, that were in a half hour's distance of us. Mm. So we had a lot of options, and that was certainly the case for the Pittsburgh area. 
Um, I think they reached their zenith in about 1960 as far as drive-in saturation. And then uh, there were a couple more sites that opened, but basically beginning, I guess, in the 70s and definitely in the into the late 80s, there was a, a, a real uh, downturn where more and more sites started to close. So is that because of the availability on TV, online, HBO, Paychamp? That was part like of that? it. Yeah, that was definitely part of it. Uh, there was stuff you could <laughs> see that uh, would entice people to want to stay home, if not first-run features, fairly current stuff. Also, um, real estate began to uh, rise in mm -hmm. value quite a bit, and so uh, some people, people who might have opened their drive-in theaters in the 40s or the 50s, uh, were looking forward to retiring. They could get a lot for their land mm -hmm. for selling the drive-in, and so you saw the kind of waves in the 80s and early 90s of drive-ins, you know, finally going on the uh, on the block and becoming something else because the owners just decided to retire and give it up. Do, do you think? Um do you think it'll ever make a comeback as far as even for nostalgia's sake? Well, not a full-scale comeback, probably not, just because of the price of the land or the value of the land, I guess, would be uh, the best way to describe it. And Pittsburgh was a, a unique uh, case because uh, it's my understanding that we got so many drive-ins or ozoners, as they're also known, uh, because some of the coal fields that went into disuse after they shut down, um, they, the, uh, I guess the composition, the layout proved easily convertible to a drive-in field. And so we, we were fortunate in that, and Pittsburgh had so many sites for a market of our size uh, that we, we were known as the unofficial drive-in capital Is of the world right? because of the density, uh, of the population density of the drive-ins. They were everywhere. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. And mm -hmm. I wasn't the first movie theater. Was it in Newcastle or Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers. Warner yeah. Brothers were in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. yeah. The Warner Brothers were in Newcastle. Yeah, I forget I where the exact location. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, saw the Nickelodeon, and then uh, yeah, that, they were kind of inspired. Originally, I think they were in the uh, clothing business, and they decided yeah. to uh, yeah. get into the movie business very wisely. <laughs> so, in Pittsburgh, the first actual drive-in theater. Yeah, I can even give you the date on this one. I have my cheat sheet with me, but yes, August twenty-seventh, nineteen. 40 is what my research turned up and it what what would become it is what would become the South Park drive-in theater um, but originally it was just called drive-in theater and uh, it changed its name to South Park uh, a few years later and uh, it was the only drive-in to open in Pittsburgh prior to uh, American involvement in World War II. Mm -hmm. Once the war ended, and of course the boom that happened subsequent to that, when um, yeah, you know a lot of uh, a lot of soldiers and sailors, a lot of the military folk returned home, wanted to start uh, you know settling down, and you know we got the rise of the suburbs. That's when the drive-in boom really, really began in Pittsburgh, right around 1946 and 47. Probably for about a, more than a decade, any given year, there were like 10 new drive-ins that would open somewhere in southwestern Pennsylvania alone. And it was you know, certainly what was happening across the country as well, because mm -hmm. that, that was the thing. It caught on. It caught on big time. Now, I have two questions for you that might veer a little bit, not really technical, but just from a standpoint of media. Sure. How is media supplied to drive-ins today as far as the films and so forth? Mm -hmm. um, 
are they DVDs or are they downloadable? How do you how do you get your films? Generally, the media most drive-ins had to go the way of most hardtop theaters and go digital. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of a necessity because that's the direction the industry was going in. But there are a few ozoners and none come to mind immediately that still run film. I know there's at least one in Pennsylvania. I think out in eastern Pennsylvania that does. Not sure which one it is, but most run digital because that's just the way of things now. And generally, digital um, movies are are um, delivered to drive-ins kind of as uh, as a kind of hard drive mm. that you load into your uh, projection systems, and there's a whole security system so you can't show the movie before it's time, you know. Uh, but but basically, it's all digitally provided. I mean, there's still a physical drive mm-hmm. that you get to load. But um, it's loaded into the projection system, and generally the sound systems are much improved. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the sound at the drive-in, as far as media is concerned, of course, we used to have the in-car speakers, mm-hmm. which uh, and they they formed a whole kind of uh, running joke about don't drive <laughs> off of the speaker, you know, and how tough they were to maintain. And uh, those have generally been phased out in favor of radio sound. It's still tuning in your radio to get the sound? Still tuning in your radio to get the sound. And the sound is pretty good. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Actually, yeah. You just have to remember, if you're listening on a radio, put your car in the accessory position so you don't (laughs) uh, drain the battery. Or... Uh, bring your own, you know, portable radio, or some drive-ins, ours does, and I know others do too, you can rent a radio for a couple really? of bucks. Yeah. I did not know you offered that service. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, yep. Does the concession stand at a drive-in do a lot of business these days? Well, we certainly hope so. That's yeah. how a drive-in <laughs> stays uh, solvent, basically. And that's really where the, uh, the brunt of the income comes uh, for a successful drive-in theater. Because to show a film, there's usually a rental fee to show a first-run film. You could be talking like 80% of whatever the take is at the box office in the first week. It will. Now, if you hold on to it for a while, that percentage will diminish. But that's still a pretty healthy bite of whatever you're taking in. So so the real profit, as it were, or what's able to uh, go back into the business and keep the driving going is, is made through the concession stand. Mm-hmm. What you sell in terms of snacks, what you sell in terms of food. And uh, concession stands and drive-ins, that's really... I always like to think of it as the personality mm-hmm. of the of the drive-in theater because it varies from site to site, and you get a real sense, I think, of uh, just kind of the kind of the personality of what uh, of what you can ex- expect or what you can. Um, it just sets the tone. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way for for kind of the social hub of the drive-in, um, and the typical drive-in food. Uh, you've got you've got hot grills, you know, so so you're able to have burgers and dogs. Nachos are popular. Popcorn, of course, is a staple. Candy is, of course, a staple. Ice cream, certainly in the summertime. Uh, various beverages. Some drive-ins do snow cones. Some drive-ins do funnel cakes. Some drive-ins will um, do do. I've been at other sites where. Um, they uh, do like breaded mini hot dogs, oh, which is kind of man. cool. Uh, there's a drive-in out east, Harrison Dillsburg, uh, and I don't know if they still do this. They made their own milkshakes on site, and there are other drive-ins that have served uh, seafood sandwiches. It can get pretty distinctive depending on where you are, and I'm sure uh, local popularity and regional popularity has uh, something to do with the cuisine. Certainly, what's available through distributors, mm-hmm. um, you know how popular an item is. 
but each and every drive-in kind of has its own personality in that snack bar, mm-hmm. depending on yeah, depending on what's available. So, do you ever go to the drive-in when you're not working at the drive-in as a patron? I would love to go to the drive-in <laughs> as a patron. Now, I actually, I actually have hung out at the drive-in I work at because it's so convenient, mm-hmm. you know, and said, "Hey, can I actually sit and watch the movie tonight? I'm not on, you know, I'm not on the schedule." Usually, it's like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." Um, and I, and I still love to go when um, I, ha- I happen to be free just to see what the other folks are doing. I've always loved the experience, and uh, I'll even tell you, I credit the drive-in with me becoming. A movie buff. It, my my big moment happened when I was 11 years old, and there was a drive-in out in Ford City, just outside of Ford City, PA, in Armstrong County, called the Super 66. And my dad happened to see a movie ad that uh, mentioned that they were serve uh, they were showing uh, a couple of Marx Brothers films, a couple oh, of classic Marx stuff, Brothers comedies, stuff, yeah. and those were very big things back then. They were big with uh, college students, and there was a big Marx Brothers revival kind of going on. So their old films were making the circuit, and um, so we went and saw. I remember my dad, a friend, and I uh, loaded up the car, and we went and saw uh, Horse Feathers and Duck Soup. Oh my! Two of their classics <laughs> from the early '30s, right? And I remember during the intermission between, uh, I got up to go to the restroom and check out the snack bar <laughs> and as I was walking across the field to the to the hub there I saw one of the Filmac intermission reels with uh, kind of you know amusing scenarios involving food mm-hmm. and you know how, how about a pizza none better anywhere you know <laughs> pizzas like disappearing magically <laughs> and uh, I also happened to glance inside the projection booth and it was it was like it was a very <coughs> intense atmosphere there it was like red light and just these huge reels of film just running through sprockets and it was at that Point, I got the revelation in my in in my way because I was still quite young at the time that there was a conscious kind of a conscious effort behind this that there was a kind of craft mm-hmm. behind this and from that night I would say I became a diehard movie fan mm-hmm. I started reading movie ads uh, in the paper on a regular basis on a daily basis both the local paper and the Pittsburgh papers mm-hmm. and that's when I kind of became familiar with the landscape at the time, and uh, I started reading about film history and movie lore and kind of seeking out uh, movies on TV that uh, I thought looked and sounded interesting to me. And the next thing you know, I was I, I was watching foreign films on, you know, so it, it just uh, one thing spurred another and, you know, classic uh, comedies and everything else. Well, that's that, something that I was going to get to. You, that was the inciting incident. I you are, say. oh, is that right? Now, yeah. he, I've known you, we've known each other for many years, and right. of all, as long as I've known you, you've been not only a movie buff, but somebody who's very, very knowledgeable about the film industry and about movies. You have a real appreciation yeah. for movies from all era, right? and um, you know maybe that's been lost a little bit today because things today are so explosions, superheroes, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some things get lost sometimes. Some things get lost, but what's really good maybe about digital preservation is is there is a lot that has been saved and archived. Mm-hmm. And so as far as, you know, the, the cinephilia, we'll call it, there's a rich, rich treasure trove of material 
to to research and scan from and look up. I mean, go to a public library. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any, any just about any public library with a video collection, a DVD collection, will probably have some gems, some gems crossing eras mm-hmm. and kind of crossing uh, cultures yeah. that you can get into. So, if, uh, you know, anybody who's interested in exploring film, that is readily available. Of course, we're talking about. You know, uh, online there are, are, are you know numerous sites where you can uh, where you can download movies uh, that might be of interest to you that aren't necessarily um, that somehow fell through the cracks mm-hmm. somehow. So I, I really appreciate with with all the modern media and um, digital that we have is that uh, so much of it is so accessible to us. And then of course you have classic channels like uh, Turner Classic and what have you mm-hmm. that certainly help, and other you know other cable channels that. But there's there's so many ways to absorb it. The the trick, I guess, is is getting that appreciation. Mm-hmm. You know, getting the appreciation first of all. One of the things, uh, the other uh, situation that I, I wanted to bring up was that when I went to college, I took a lot of film classes. Mm-hmm. That was a, just an overriding interest of mine, and I incorporated it into my major. And I started studying, as I say, films from other eras, films from other cultures, and kind of breaking them down to see how, you know, where they came from, what were the circumstances that brought about their production. So I'm studying French New Wave, Italian neorealism, uh, classic screwball comedy of the 30s, um, musicals, um, Japanese cinema, uh, uh, Italian cinema, British cinema, um, and... I started to, you know, make connections and kind of see, have more clarity into why the films that appealed to me appealed to me. Mm-hmm. It's like it all fit together would be the best way to describe it um, through documentaries as well and uh, other non-narrative forms of film. So, so I like to think of myself as a guy who who just loves movies. That mm-hmm. that seems to just make sense to me. Well, and, and I think what a lot of people don't realize because. The blockbusters that come out, the tentpole movies that mm-hmm. Hollywood releases, right. um, they tend to uh, get a lot of publicity, get a lot of attention in the media. Sure. And everybody knows that a new Spider-Man movie is coming out, yep. the new uh, Lion King, things like that. Mm-hmm. But some of the most engaging movies are the sleepers, the ones that uh, right. don't get a lot of publicity and you almost discover on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've discovered, I can't tell you how many just really low-key movies that I've absolutely loved right. because I happen to take a chance on them. Mm-hmm. And that's really, uh, you got kind of have to be open enough to uh, kind of keep a compartment for that as mm-hmm. well. And sometimes you can really get rewarded through the tentpole movies as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of quality in those, too. So not to disparage, you know, one group over another. Oh, no. Um, and I'm, I'm always a sucker for, for example, the Pixar movies. Oh, yeah. They I love a, Pixar. I yeah. love the Pixar movies, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen the new Spider-Man. I loved the last Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of chopping at the bit to see the next one. Oh, yeah. Um, the point is, I guess, that you never know where some, necessarily where something's going to come from to hit you in a certain way or to affect you in a certain way. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much product out there. Um, I see that with, certainly I see that with television as well. Mm-hmm. Our renaissance with television that probably started with uh, HBO back in the 90s and then extended to sites like Netflix and Hulu and what have you. There is so much interesting work out there that um, it's, it's, I would say it's 
in a way, easier than ever, just in terms of basic access for somebody to have a good sampling of things and become a real cinephile. Mm -hmm. Even if you're watching TV, even if you're, uh, you know, looking at it on your phone, although that's not my favorite way, <laughs> or even if you're sitting under the stars in a field, you know, watching it with other people sitting under the stars in a field, which just happens to be my favorite. It always has. Oh, yeah. But there's there's a lot of ways to get enlightenment. There's a lot of ways to... to uh, derive the pleasure from that experience. So. Do, does, do today's movies that are made with high definition and with you know zillions of colors, do they look as good on a drive-in screen as they do on an indoor screen or on a large screen television? I think they do, and the reason is the projection. Okay. I think so. That's that's my humble opinion, not mm -hmm. coming from a technical background, but with digital projection, uh, you really do get sharp images. Mm -hmm. That now, now certainly in a drive-in situation, you're still subject to uh, environmental factors like rain, mm -hmm. like fog. Um, but uh, as a rule, I mean, they're clear and sharp. What are you projecting on? What's the screen made out of the drive-in? Uh, I am, I'm trying to think, uh, probably, I, I'm, I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> I will tell you that the standard, uh, uh, because it may be an alloy or something like that, there have been wooden screens, there have been brick tower screens, aluminum is really popular as far as a screen, and generally they're, they're you know, treated... Uh, um, kind of washed with white paint or mm. treated every so often uh, like that so that the image uh, can reflect more, can be a little brighter mm -hmm. when you show it. So, so yeah, but uh, yeah, any decent projection system, uh, almost no matter what you're showing, is going to be clear and sharp. Um, when you're at the drive-in um, and you know, beyond the families who come to see the shows, do you ever run into people who are drive-in buffs, people that come to the drive-in oh, because yes. they love going to drive-ins? Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely, especially during, we have a couple of film festivals that we happen to show at our particular drive-in called uh, the Drive-In Super Monsterama. Oh, yeah. Uh, and those are twice a year uh, uh, monster movie festivals, usually having some kind of a theme, like, you know, here, it's a Dracula weekend, or here, here are films from the 70s, or, you know, some, some kind of theme, or here's Christopher Lee, whatever. Um, People who are horror movie fans certainly come out, but people who are just movie fans who have, you know, had it on their bucket list that, no, I want to see, you know, Night of the Living Dead on a drive-in screen, or I want to see, you know, this movie on a drive-in screen, or I, I want to see Peter Cushing on a drive-in screen. You get that a lot, too. There's mm -hmm. a lot of movie love to go around. Mm -hmm. A lot of movie love to go around. One of my personal goals, I've never seen it, and, and uh, several drive-in theaters I know of do retro nights, mm -hmm. including ours, where, where you know, you can, you can show, you know, older movies sometimes, depending on XYZ factors. I still have never seen one of the movies that I think would be awesome on a drive-in screen. I've just never seen it on a drive-in screen, and that's American Graffiti. Oh I would God. love to see American... Now, I've seen it on the big screen yep. in, a, in a movie theater, but I just want to see it at a drive-in. Yep. 
That, that would be awesome. And Sean, can I tell you yeah. that? And, and I, I love movies and have all my life. Yeah. My favorite movie of all time. Really? It is. Yeah. Wow. I saw that when I was in high school. Sure. At the, a couple times at the theater, in mm-hmm. the movie theaters. Um, and then they re-released it. I saw it again. It was the first VHS tape I bought. Wow. And the first DVD I bought. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I totally I sense a it. theme here, John. I, I, I love that movie. And yeah. it spoke to me when I saw it. I probably, because I was in high school at the time. Sure. And, you know, Pittsburgh is not Modesto, California, but right. we were living similar lives mm-hmm. at that point in our life. Right, know? right. And to see the, the the kind of imagery and the kind of visual style that, uh, and credit where it's due, George Lucas uh, uh, put forth uh, with his crew, I, I think in an interview he said he wanted it to resemble a jukebox mm-hmm. and that's a, a great visual metaphor for what that movie is mm-hmm. and it's just it's 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 a lot of uh, interesting stories and I love narratives about multiple characters I'm a sucker for that and and there's lots of cruising and lots of motion and lots of music mm-hmm. and I guess the soundtrack was actually uh, the songs were re recorded in a gym to get the uh, oh, kind I didn't of know echo that. sound to it wow. is what I heard. Um, again, not verified, but that's what I heard. And um, yeah, the whole experience, the whole sensory experience of the movie and the whole enjoyment of the movie, I, I'm just thinking, I would love to see this outside under the yeah. stars sometimes. It's, it's a movie about cruising. It's a, it's a natural. It's awesome. I yeah. mean, we all did that. I mean, in, in, you know, when I was that age, Lincoln Avenue in Bellevue was sure. a cruising spot. I think we all had a cruising spot at yep. that age, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, just as a shout out to Mad Magazine, Mort Drucker designed the American Graffiti poster. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, when you travel, when you go on vacation, visit other places, other yes. cities, do you seek out drive-ins or check them out or anything? I try to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't been traveling for for a while, but uh, I've seen, I've gone to Eastern Pennsylvania and seen some uh, very cool drive-ins out that way. Uh, I've driven through Ohio and visited mm-hmm. some drive-ins when I was uh, in Las Vegas. So one time I was in Las Vegas, I um, sought out the drive-in there. I didn't get a chance to go, but I basically got a, a look at its location. They have mm-hmm. a, I think at the time they had a five or a six screen drive-in mm-hmm. out that way. Um, and uh, I've been to uh, the Benji's drive-in in Baltimore, Maryland. I think that's the only drive-in left in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Huge operation there. Um, so the the short answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I travel and I know there's a drive-in nearby, I'm probably going to go out of my way and uh, at mm-hmm. least take a look at it in the daytime. And, and it's kind of interesting too. In recent years, just to connect this, um, mm-hmm. there there have been outdoor movie experiences. Of yes. course, here in the city, we have them in the parks in Pittsburgh. Right. But Austin has an outdoor, I think, an outdoor theater. Mm-hmm. And New York is well known for its outdoor. Los movies. Angeles as well has uh, like a movies in the park set yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. I think that, and that's why I think drive-ins will never necessarily vanish entirely. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not just the novelty of it, which is you know I think terrific in and of itself yeah you know you can say you went to the drive-in but also because I think and again I think I might have established this point earlier that there is something very appealing about being outside in the summertime summertime is is a special time because it's not gonna last that long and for just a very couple at least I would think for most of the continental US for just a couple of months out of the year Mm There's this time when you can go outside and stay outside and experience life just outside and get in uh, contact with 
you know, whatever aspect of it, whether it's the nature, whether it's the freedom, whether it's the uh, the social opportunities, whether it's it's just um, looking up at the stars, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of our version. It's and and driving driving movies are kind of another way of looking up at the stars and seeing what you can see and seeing how they move and seeing where they go. And I think that, that there's just kind of a basic need for that entertainment mm -hmm. that I think the drive-ins satisfy. Or like watching a campfire. Yeah. 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 It's like a campfire tells a story, mm -hmm. you know, in the way it burns and, you know, its progression and what have you. you know, what food are you going to eat? How long is it going to last? How, you know, how comfortable are you going to get? Yeah. I think it's kind of the same principle. And, and there's a basic simplicity to it that the era in which we grew up, we appreciate that because we knew going to the drive-in with our parents or maybe when we got older going with our friends or our mm -hmm. dates or whatnot. Um, but because there are so many electronic devices now, right. a lot of people of a certain age today, you know, they may not even get the simplicity and the charm and the, uh, mm -hmm. the nostalgia fact. Well, obviously not the nostalgia Not the factor, nostalgia, but... Mm -hmm. I, th I like to think, and, and I do, do see a lot of family traffic, um, you know, thanks to uh, family-oriented films, especially animated films. Mm -hmm. Animated films becoming popular again, you know, back in the 90s uh, to today. Um, you have this, uh, I, I perceived you've had this whole new kind of generation mm -hmm. of young families who can bring their kids to something that's family friendly and uh, as a rule not too expensive and right. have a nice evening out and it, it's not only accessible but let's not forget the you know the very basic appeal to it going to the drive-in is fun mm -hmm. going to the yeah. drive-in is fun you get to go outside see a movie eat food you wouldn't normally eat sit in the car <laughs> just hang out sit in lawn chairs in front of your front of your car even swatting mosquitoes <laughs> and wearing pajamas <laughs> and wearing pajamas you know it's it's a way to be you know just very casual um, not the usual rules it's uh, you can be more relaxed it, it can be more of a good time there's even room uh, to run around in front of the screen a lot of times or you know yeah play a little catch or toss a frisbee around before the movie starts well if people listening to this uh, and we still have a lot of summer left at this point sure um, want to go to the Riverside drive-in and see movies you have a website yeah you bet we do and I'm gonna gonna look it up so I don't get uh, I don't get because I do the phone message every single week <laughs> and now of course I can't remember the copy but you know I go there all the time Riverside Drive-In is basically um, between uh, Leechburg and Vandegrift on uh, Old Route 66 and um, how, how far from Pittsburgh would you say uh, about 30 between 30 and 35 miles due northeast okay. I would say and there are directions on the website but our website is www.riversidedrivein.com and you can also check us out uh, on Facebook at uh, Riverside DI so there you go Bergcast is written and produced by me John Fries at Blue Mist Media Comments, suggestions, and questions are always welcome at bergcast at gmail.com. Our website is at www.bergcast.com, and there's a Bergcast Facebook page. As always, thanks for listening.